Hey everyone, welcome to Truezilla. I'm Megan sitting here with Scott. Hello. Our wonderful Ed uh, isn't here with us tonight. We've had uh, kind of a crazy couple weeks crazy out here in week. Oregon with the, the fires and the smoke. Um, Ed lives actually in a different town than we do and, and he's been uh, more heavily affected. So um, just while everyone's attending uh, to their families as uh, we're welcoming the rain these last few yes. days. Um, Scott and I happen to live in the same town on the same side of town, so we're able to get together and uh, put this out. But Ed will be back with us next week, so we'll look forward to that. Absolutely, guys. And so, you know, our usual recording night, we couldn't all make it together. Um, we're just like with all, like literally, we're all choking to death in the smoke and like families, uh, a lot going on. And so we're like, all right, well, let's just take a week off. But we got all this momentum, so we didn't want to just leave you guys hanging. So what we're going to do is just like another little re-up thing. I know it's kind of a cop-out, but, you know, we're going to... Uh, give you something to chew on here uh, until this uh, coming week, in which case we're going to have an awesome guest. We're going to go hard in the paint. So yes, just are. like uh, last week's episode, we're getting a really good response on the Margaret Sanger eugenics episode. Um, if you haven't checked that out yet, please do please yourself do. a favor. Go check it out. We're going to kind of build on that mm -hmm. and take it to the next level and talk about the agendas, how it ties into the agendas that we're seeing today, particularly uh, that one we call Agenda 21, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we got another one of our friends going to come on and speak with us too. So it's yeah. going to be like a little uh, round table discussion. So it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, um, very much looking forward to that. So yeah, man, uh, we've been talking a lot these last few weeks about all the fires and stuff and we have finally gotten a little bit of a reprieve. Um, the kind of ongoing joke is that this is the first time that Oregonians have ever been grateful for rain. It's true. It's funny because like when we when we had the heavy rain and the thunderstorm come down the other night, mm -hmm. I have literally a video of like all the neighborhood kids and my kids out in the streets. And it's like, you know, when Andy Dufresne, you know, escaped Shawshank <laughs> and at the end where he's just like standing in there and that was yeah. my kids literally arms extended. But but truly, we we're all like so, so thankful and, and we mm -hmm. needed it. And the air has been I mean, the kids have been outside today and playing. It's it's clearing off. Um, so some relief to for for uh, a lot of areas and and some families are. Uh, getting back to find uh, more damage than they expected and and we have a couple friends who were evacuated that got home to find um, their home still intact and uh, everything's still standing so anyways yeah. a lot of a lot of hopeful things that happen still. totally and I was talking to a friend of mine earlier um, actually the same friend that's gonna be coming on this week and anyway so he was saying how he was looking at satellite imagery of all the smoke from Oregon going offshore and getting mixed with other clouds in the ocean and then getting pulled back in to California so they're getting hit with like you know their own fire smoke they're getting hit with all of our residual smoke that's been pulled out and being recycled back inland and it's just like they're getting hit hard so our heart goes out to everybody down in california um you know we complain about how hard we have it up here in oregon and everything with like you know the lockdown stuff but man i don't know how you guys are doing it down in california just stay strong man yep. um you know we started a little facebook group here in oregon i started it called lane county shopping in groups without masks yes. lane county shopping in groups without masks with the idea being is that if we can get like a whole group together of people you know local people um plan like shopping trips you know i always had this idea of like doing like okay from 7 p.m to 8 p.m every night of the week seven days a week that's designated no mask shopping time right everybody meet out front of the store at like 10 till 7 and you just all walk in together like 50 people strong yep. and what are they gonna do you know well, it's not a bad idea, too. I think, like, even if, you know, and like we talked about, too, if a, if someone needs to do shopping in a particular place and they're mm -hmm. not available during that, I mean, that's that's the group where we can go, well, hey, I need to go to X, Y, and Z on this yeah. day of the week. Who else is down to go with me? And, and then a group of us mm -hmm. um, to, to come and do our shopping and, and support one another as we yeah. choose non-acquiescence to, non uh, yeah, to this tyranny. So That's the whole idea, you know what I mean? Like, um, 
that was the whole concept for me, you know, it came about because I walked into a store and, and just got like almost, I think I mentioned it on the show a minute. Well, no, I, mo- I made a post about it on social media and like literally the store security guy came running up to me, right? And he was just like, Meh. like I thought he was going to like tackle me or put his <laughs> hands on me because I'd already entered the store. And he comes running up as fast as he can. He gets right in my face like, you got to wear a mask. You got to wear a mask. Before you walk into and the I was store. And like, I was like, whoa, dude. And, and I was just like, like kind of just like not really taking him too seriously. And then he just got like kind of really up in my face. So, uh, you know, I was just like, whatever, dude. I was on my lunch break at work, so I just, you know, had a mask in my pocket just in case. You know what I mean? I know I'm sorry. Fucking, you know, whatever. I have been going hard going into stores without masks, though. I have been doing that. But, hardcore. you know, a lot but, of, but like with work and, and there's, you only have so much control. You yeah. have to keep your job. Yeah, you yeah. know, everybody has to work, so. Yep. So, anyway, I was so pissed, dude. I was going to, like, you know, take my phone out and, like, go back in there without a mask and, like, get them on camera and just, like, call the pedal. I'm like, no, 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 no. I channeled this anger into, I went home and I started this Facebook group. And I've been trying to, like, spread the word locally here, uh, but it hasn't been getting a whole lot of response. Like it's, and I think what it is is it's, like, I think it's just getting shadow banned. Totally I'll banned. Make, I'll make posts in that group. Mm-hmm. And I don't see him. Yeah, I don't see him. And I'm, one of, I'm one of the admins, She's one of the by admins the way, the and I don't see the posts. So that's just, just to show you how badly you censored know? it is. Yeah, banned. So we've been inviting our friends and, and, you know, encouraging them to invite their friends. And hopefully we can get a community of, like, a few thousand people here in the, Come on. you know, we live in a city of like 50,000 people and there's 100,000 people. I don't even know how big. There's got to be 20 of us that, that want to go to the store together. Yeah, I, I, I I'm just fr- saying. Like, like it, reach out to us. If we can get, yeah, <laughs> if we can get this group up to like, you know, 1,000 people, yeah. then we could, make, do, we could do some serious stuff. Right, and I want to encourage all of you listening to really do the same thing in your communities. And if it's, you know, we I've just been initially been using Facebook to organize this. But if you guys have any suggestions or ideas about other... Ways to organize this. Ideas for platforms. You know, that's because that's what it is right now. Because, like, not only just going into stores without masks, this is all about creating a community of people who are, like, action oriented and wanting to actually, you know, do some sort of activism, like some real life activism. Because right now, you know, this is the time that we need to come together, formulate, you know, these groups and cliques of people who are going to support each other because it's only going to get worse, man. Like, like, especially if this whole vaccine thing plays out, like, um, the way they're hoping it does. You know, that's one of those lines that we talk about all the time that, like, I'm not willing to have crossed, you know? Yeah. And so if we, we have strength in numbers, but right now, you know, the, the, the effort, the push, the agenda is to keep us all separated and fighting amongst ourselves. Yeah. And we need to overcome that, you know what I mean? We need to invite all our brothers and sisters from all sides of everything and just come together and realize that we are being controlled, manipulated, programmed, and uh, forced into hating each other when we all have more in common than we do not in common basically you know 100 percent. you know some people maybe are damaged beyond uh repair true but uh i think but, but that's not the majority i think that the majority, the, there's there's just a lot of people yeah who've, I mean, we've all been terribly brainwashed and and indoctrinated mm-hmm. into into all of these different areas so it's mm-hmm. just an awakening and there is a large awakening of us so yep yep and so Anyway, guys, this is just kind of a last-minute thing. This is Saturday night. Usually we record on a Wednesday, Thursday, but we're going to put this out here just in, as soon as we're done recording. Um, just a lot of crazy stuff going on. You know, we have Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away yes, yesterday. yesterday. So, you know, it's just like that's going to – we're going to see how that plays out. Like, for me, I'm kind of, like, nervous. I'm kind of fearful. You know, um, that's going to – that's just going to tip the scale, man. That's just going to push everything over the edge. If on the way out, you know, Trump administration tries to appoint somebody, and, you know, I mean, I think 
I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, he but said, I feel he like... He said next week. Yeah, I feel like it's just going to be insanity. You know, they're not going to bow down quietly for that. And already, if you look at Twitter, it's just like this huge social media campaign. Like, famous people, blue check mark people, you know, they're all saying, burn it down. If they if that happens, we're going to burn it all down. And oh, so gosh. some people are like, you haven't even seen riots yet, you know? It's like, so, okay. So <laughs> that's, that's what we have up, That's what we have in store. And then it's hilarious, too, because like in all my little conspiracy... Uh, communities they're all like didn't she die like last year no she died like last year and they're waiting until now to release that information you know all this stuff it's oh, like geez. it's hilarious so I don't know and then uh, I think my favorite thing of the week though um, Joe Rogan offered to moderate a debate between Joe yes. Biden and Donald Trump <laughs> we want that to happen now obviously Donald Trump immediately jumped on it and said absolutely let's do it yep. and so for me it's like I feel like Biden's been backed into a corner. He's got to do it. you got to show up. Step up, show up, man. That would probably be the most legendary uh, event in the history of human <laughs> civilization, but you know Biden ain't going to show up. I was going to say, that's not going to happen. There's no way. No to way. the point where I'm thinking, like, everybody be on false flag alert. You know, everybody be on high alert. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. if he literally, like, if he gets challenged any further or pushed in, any further into a corner, you know, what they do best, you know, they're going to... They're going to push back, and they're going to do something yeah, horrendous to distract, to yeah. distract. And then my joke was, and I'm sorry, it's a horrible <laughs> joke. I was like, good thing all the good thing all the schools are closed right now, so they can't go, you know, use their old tricks. Oh, but but there was a if big you know shooting I mean. in the middle of the night. Oh yeah, I guess yeah, um, in, in New York. In New York. Mm-hmm. And so it was 16 people. So this is what I'm going to say is that they're going to call out. Again, so it was a gathering. They already in the in the headlines are saying it was a gathering of 16 people, and there mm-hmm. was a mass shooting. And two people have died. Um, at least that was the last that I read. I had to be fair. I haven't read anything more on it since this morning. Mm-hmm. But um, that's totally going to be a, a little game changer that they're going to use. It. You know, just more yeah. diversion, more. You know, it's going to be attack on the on Second Amendment. It's going to be attack on you know human beings getting together and doing human being things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Not to discount the violence, but mm-hmm. but this isn't about the violence. This will be about what the media is going to blow this up yeah. to be. So. It never is about the violence or justice. They it's don't all care. About, oh, yeah. It's all about how can this help further our agenda, mm-hmm. right? And we've totally. seen that. I mean, anybody that's still, like, it's, I, there are people that I know that are in my life that still, like, sit around and I'll walk in them and they're sitting there watching MSNBC. I'm like, I mean, you... Hold on. You, it's you're so still true. watching MSNBC? You realize that the MS and MSNBC stands for Microsoft, right? I mean, you know that, right? I mean, you, you, you come on now. I mean, But they don't. We need to do a whole episode on that. I know we talked about that before. Yeah, the big we five like, media. Break down like, the, the yep, media, the like media, Snopes, yep. all these different... like. Yep. It's just all tied into absolute corruption yep. and garbage. So yep. absolute corruption. But the and truth garbage, is man. there. The truth is out there. Yep. Mockingbird, freaking like, look into this shit, folks. But mm-hmm. we'll 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 dig in. But we're we're getting into some other, you know, I think relevant stuff this coming week. Not that that's not relevant, but I'm pretty excited about this one. So anyway, guys, we just want to come touch base with you real quick. So for tonight, I think we're just going to do some more reup action. Um, the first one I reached out to, uh, Valuetainment Media. Um, they have a YouTube channel. You can uh, find them valuetainment.com. It was an awesome uh, debate, for lack of a better word, between Alan Dershowitz, our friend Alan Dershowitz, and Robert <laughs> F. Kennedy Jr. Okay, Now, this all came about because Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, or excuse me, Alan Dershowitz, went on uh, Crowdsource the Truth, and we've already talked about this in a previous episode, but how he basically said that... Um, Mandatory vaccinations are 100% constitutional, and if you refuse a vaccination, the government literally has the right to come into your house and pull you out of your house, and plunge, a, plunge needle a needle into your, into your arm. arm. <laughs> and so, we, which I, which was it? Good COVID fearing Americans. We yeah, we I think, played the, a clip of that. Yeah, in I think it was episode. like yeah, back on uh, COVID, good COVID fearing Americans. Was it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, 
I think that was it, or else the bonus episode around that. But it was one of those two. Yeah. But anyway, so guys, like, uh, and I love how uh, the Holston crowdsource of the truth is like, well, where's that in the Constitution? Like, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that opened up a huge controversy, and we know uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he's been, you know, he's a fierce advocate against uh, vaccines, and so it's a very interesting, too, very well round people, you know, having an actual honest, you know, sit down debate, um, hosted by Patrick Bet David, who uh, did a great job, I thought. So we reached out to Valuetainment and said, hey, you know, we really appreciate this piece of work that you guys put out. Do you mind if we kind of re-up it? Do we? Do you mind if we use it on our channel, kind of spread awareness about this debate and these issues? And they said, absolutely not, just give us a shout out. And so, yes, check out Valuetainment. They have a lot of good stuff, a lot of good uh, pieces. And uh, they were generous enough to give us a chance to kind of rebroadcast and just keep spreading just beams of light, just spreading all this stuff out, you know. And I thought after that we would wrap it up with a little uh, speech also by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. from a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was in Germany and just gave him just gave a really powerful, you know, speech on freedom and uh, all deep state agendas that are coming to play. So. You know, I had a good conversation uh, conversation with Ed earlier. He's actually working right now. We offered to kind of Skype him in and so he could join us, but he's like, oh, man, I got to work. So um, he's out working tonight. But, like, one of the things that we talked about, which I thought was kind of interesting, is that, you know, obviously Ed is deep into the, the vaccine uh, issue mm -hmm. and is one of the most extremely knowledgeable people that yeah. I've ever come across. Like, if any of you are also, like, you know, um, if, if you guys have your own show for if you, if, or if you have like a podcast of your own or something and you want to have somebody that's like an expert on this vaccine debate dude like hit us up you know Ed would love we'd all love to come Staunch on your show for sure but, so but Ed knows this stuff yeah, yeah, inside yeah. and out man mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that quite yet but anyway so he was saying how like he's kind of on the fence and I, wanna, I don't want to put words into his mouth but it's just like you know Kennedy's been coming out a lot lately talking about like the climate change agenda and he's he's always been you know that's part of his what he's known for too is like coming out against like you know climate change too and I was saying like yeah you know I mean we know the climate change agenda that we're seeing right now by all the the same the same actors right all the Obamas and the Clintons and the Gavin Newsoms and the Kate Browns and all them are coming out talking about climate change all of a sudden right well that's like the thing with the phone right with the notifications going from COVID notifications oh, for those of us great. on the West Coast. Yes. Uh, so if you go onto your Facebook feed. I'm so glad you reminded me of that. And, and go into, I don't know, you click on you click onto your profile mm -hmm. and then there will be the notifications up at the very top. And for all this time, it's been, you know, the COVID-19 yep, uh, yep, notifications. Yep. And, and for those of us in, uh, at least along the West Coast, as far as we can tell so far, we all have a climate change notifications yep, all of a sudden. That's true, um, that's and true. then friends that are not on the West Coast yep. are reaching out to us letting us know that they they still are being warned against COVID, so That's it's an it. interesting little agenda that they're playing here. Absolutely, so. yeah. You go to your Facebook settings, and actually, mine right now doesn't have either one, but all, but you know, months, all these last few months, just you until click on, click on your settings on Facebook right here, right, mm -hmm. and, and and it'll pop up. It was that big button that said COVID nineteen science information, right, <laughs> right. Gosh. And uh, I always yeah. tried to avoid that button, but then just in these last couple of weeks yep. here in the United States on the West Coast, it's up and through yesterday. Mine yeah, still yeah. did, so yeah. I mean, yours might still, it might, but. Uh, it said uh, climate change science information. And so Megan had this awesome hypothesis. She's like, I wonder if that's like that all over the world. So we reached out to the Truthzilla Mind Militia and said, hey, we need you guys to help us out here. All of you that are all over the rest of the world, can you comment and let us know if it still says COVID-19 or if it says climate change down here on your settings on Facebook. And shout out to Pedro down in Australia. Man, yeah. I hope you're still doing good. Like He's like, nope, it says COVID-19 down here. So the agenda changes depending on where you're at in the world, apparently. Yes. So and, and also climate change only apparently affects the United States. How about that? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? So, you know... 
crazy, crazy stuff. So I'm glad you reminded me of that, yeah. too. And if yeah. you go to our Facebook page, I did actually post a, a, a map of the entire world, of all the wildfires in the world um, for these, like, last, like, month or so. And it's all concentrated in, like, Brazil, Western United States. Like, it's not like it's not happening all over the world. Like, it's... it's well, don't you know, like, everyone knows that climate change only happens in, like, particular areas of yeah. the world. I think that we yeah. all know. That's yeah, so ridiculous. But, but here in the Western United States in particular, and I'd be curious to know about other regions of the United States, like, it's just climate change, climate change, yeah. climate change. That has become... Uh, the main That's thing. That's the buzzword. Until yep. the next thing. Yep, until the next thing. So, man, you guys, just stay vigilant. Um, again, hang tight. We're going to be back next week with some awesomeness. And but, we'll bring uh, Ed with us. Yeah, and Ed will, I promise Ed will be there. Yeah. He's, he's hurt that he can't be here. But, yeah, for sure. you know, we had to take a week, you know what I mean? Like, we've been going strong, and, and we, we just love doing this, and we love chatting with you guys, and we love... Uh, you getting know, this I'll, information out and yeah. connecting with other people in this community is just uh, yep. really enriching and, re and really encouraging and hopeful to, yep. to all of us. So. Yep. yep. So if you haven't already, make sure you follow us on social media too. We have a lot of fun on Facebook and Instagram at Truezilla and mm -hmm. uh, Twitter uh, at Truezilla Pod. Um, you can connect with us there. Uh, we're pretty accessible. So if you hit us up, questions, I, whatever, dude, like you want to got some good intel Heck yeah. and, and you're not, uh, you know, you're not a freaking sending us some red herrings because you work for the CIA or whatever, like you know whatever or if you're or if, you know whatever you want to come on the show you got ideas hit us up man heck yeah, yeah. reach out to us yeah. we love that yeah all right guys so yeah first episode is the kennedy dershowitz debate and the second one is a speech by kennedy so we will see you guys there will soon be a new vaccine for the coronavirus pandemic the question is are these vaccines safe and can the government force you to take them when it comes down to lawyers, they itch for things like this. One in 40 people is seriously injured by vaccines. It's not hypothetical. If you're right, why wouldn't it follow that the flu shot should be illegal? CDC is a vaccine company. They are not doing their job as regulators. We don't know what COVID-19 vaccine will look like. Anthony Fauci put 500 million of our dollars into that vaccine. And now they've got a vaccine that is too big to fail. Would you urge the American people not to take the vaccine? I'm not anti-vaccine. I am asking you the question. I'm, what if it was what? one in a thousand? No, of course not. I'm not going to tell one in a thousand people to die. I think you overstated. Look at the vaccine inserts, Alan. Masks work. We're going to kill all these people. Mandatory vaccination. We're still going to make a profit, so let's go ahead. Certainly anybody who runs a pharmaceutical company cares deeply about not killing people. You can't sue them. There's no discovery. There's nothing. They never get caught. Do you wear a mask personally? The flu shot not only primes you for flu, but it primes you for coronavirus. They are unavoidably unsafe. So look, we've invited a lot of different doctors to want to come and debate the topic of COVID-19 vaccine and everyone's turned it down. But when it comes down to lawyers, they itch for things like this. So it's a different story when we're talking about my two guests today, who, by the way, both of them have been a guest on Valuetainment before separately on different topics. But today, a uh, conversation came up this week, a video popped up about what uh, uh, Alan Dershowitz said that led to a dialogue with uh, Robert Kennedy, and then we said, you know, what if we can set up a friendly debate here together? They both agreed. And so today's a special episode. Uh, we'll talk about a lot of different things. But prior to going into it, if you don't know who uh, Alan Dershowitz is, his resume is legendary. 50 years he taught at Harvard. He's represented some of the most uh, uh, interesting cases, O.J. Simpson, a lot of different cases. So he's had debate is what he does for a living. And on the complete opposite side, we have Robert Kennedy, where many call him 
a uh, hero when it come down, comes down to environmental crusader. He's also obviously a lawyer. Uh, they've both written books. Uh, Alan's recent book, which you can get free on Kindle right now, uh, is Guilt by Accusation. It's on the topic of the Me Too movement. Again, I asked him, do you want us to sell it? He said, no, let him go get the Kindle. So that's his discretion. You can go get the Kindle. We'll put the link below as well. Having said that, gentlemen, thank you so much for being a guest on Vibe Payment and agreeing to do this debate. Thank you for having us, Patrick. Yes. Thank you. So, so first thing I want to do is I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to, uh, I want the audience to see what led us here, a comment that you made on a podcast you did, and then I'll go from there asking your thoughts on it. So here's what was said in an interview a few weeks ago by Alan. Let's show a clip of this. Let me put it very clearly. You have no constitutional right to endanger the public and spread a disease, even if you disagree. You have no right not to be vaccinated. You have no right not to wear a mask. You have no right to open up your business. Wait, can I stop you? Did, yeah. No right not to be vaccinated, meaning if they decide you have to be vaccinated, we have to be vaccinated? Absolutely. And if you refuse to be vaccinated, the state has the power to literally take you to a doctor's office and plunge a needle into your arm. If the vaccination Where is that in the Constitution? To prevent, if the vaccination is designed to prevent the spreading disease. If the vaccination is only to prevent a disease that you will get, for example, if there's a disease that will kill you, you have the right to refuse that, but you have no right to refuse to be vaccinated against a uh, contagious disease. Public health, the police power of the Constitution, gives the state the power to compel that, and there are cases in the United States Supreme Court. So now that interview goes for a while. So let me bring you back to us here. Uh, Alan, those are some strong statements you made. Obviously, his reaction, a lot of people's reactions. Has your position changed since making those statements on that interview? The statements I made on the interview were professional statements based on reading Supreme Court cases, not expressing personal views. They were, uh, view. I have strong personal views. But uh, my constitutional views haven't changed at all. Um, let me be very clear. I don't think this issue is going to come up in the near uh, future because right now the New York Times has a big story today uh, in which they talk about uh, how there's going to be a limited number of vaccines and people are going to be waiting online to get them. So the issue uh, is not going to be confronted uh, as to mandatory vaccines. You know, having said that, I want to just pause for one second and say how important this debate is and how privileged I am to participate in it with so distinguished uh, a conversationalist as uh, Robert Kennedy. Um, I, I, of course, knew his father. Uh, I had actually been offered a job to work with his father when he was attorney general, but Harvard offered me a job and I decided to take it. I was a great fan of Senator Robert Kennedy, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, and I think I consider myself a friend of the Kennedy family, and I consider myself a friend of Robert Kennedy. I admire enormously the environmental work he's done, and I think he's performed an important function by raising issues about uh, vaccination. We, as you'll see in this conversation, will disagree. We'll probably agree on more things than people will be, will be surprised at our level of agreement. But on the issue of constitutionality, I am confident that uh, this Supreme Court would follow a uh, Supreme Court president, president from 1905 and would say, if there is a safe, and that's crucially important, effective 
measure that could significantly reduce the contagious impact of a deadly disease like uh, the current pandemic virus, that the state would have the power to either directly compel vaccination or, for example, condition young students coming to school on being vaccinated or people doing other things that might result in contagion being vaccinated. So, no, I haven't changed my professional constitutional opinion, but uh, as, as Robert will tell you, we've had conversations offline, and he has persuaded me uh, about a number of things relating to the health and safety and efficacy of vaccines. So I've learned a lot from our conversations, and I hope people will learn something from our conversations today. But the constitutional issue, in my mind, remains the same. So, so it's important to unpack that constitutionally, you're remaining same position to say, if the government wanted to mandate and make us take a vaccine, we can't say anything to it. That position is not changing. That's right. As long as the okay. vaccination is safe and effective, uh, an example, if you have somebody who has unique uh, uh, vulnerability to vaccinations, uh, that person might get a medical exemption. The issue of religious exemption um, is something the courts have considered. Uh, most recently, the Supreme Court did, just in the last day or two, create religious exemptions for um, private schools, religious schools, in terms of whether employment laws uh, operate on religious schools. So uh, we would have to see what the court would say about religious exemptions. But as a general matter, a healthy person who simply has an ideological objection to vaccinations as such, not to this particular vaccination because of health reasons or vulnerability, the Supreme Court would, I predict, hold that the state could in one way or another compel vaccination either directly or as a condition of people engaging in public activities or activities that could create contagion. Yeah, that's my position. Well, that, that's very important to know because there's your personal beliefs, which is completely different than what mm -hmm. you think will be able to be mandated. So having said that, Robert, I know you've seen this before and uh, uh, you've seen uh, when he, this statement was made. And in one case, uh, uh, Alan even said he'd be willing to debate Robert Kennedy on this topic, which kind of led to us wanting to do this debate. What was your initial reaction of watching what Alan said and what has changed since you and him have had calls together offline? Well, I want to begin by thanking Alan for participating in this debate. And by the way, Patrick, you're familiar and Alan's familiar with my voice. I want to apologize for that at the outset. It's really bad in the morning, and Alan can only do this in the morning, but hopefully it'll get better as we, uh, as we proceed. I want to thank Alan for participating in this debate. I've actually been trying to do a debate on this issue for 15 years. Um, I've asked Peter Hotez, I've asked Paul Offit, I've asked all of the major leaders of um, who are promoting vaccines to debate me, and none of them have. And I think it's really important for our democracy to have to be able to have spirited civil discussions about important issues like this. This is an issue that has been on the news. 24 hours a day for the last four months, and yet there's no debate happening about this. It's all 
kind of a, uh, a repetition of these government orthodoxies and government proclamations. And democracy functions only when we have the free flow of information. And policy is best often crafted in the furnace of heated, spirited debate. It's part of our constitutional system. It's part of American tradition. We invented free speech in this country through the First Amendment. And it ought to be something that we celebrate and that we model for the world. It shouldn't be something where you now have Democratic leaders like Adam Schiff calling on social media sites to censor debate about an important government issue. That shouldn't happen. So I'm very grateful that Alan, who I know loves the First Amendment, for actually agreeing to debate on an issue at which he's at a disadvantage because I've spent 15 years working on this issue. I'm at a big disadvantage for him him when it comes to talking about constitutional law. And I'm going to try to keep a lot of this debate on my side of the issue to put him (laughs) at a disadvantage. Let me start out by saying I don't agree with Alan's Initially, and this is a very small disagreement because Alan and I have talked a lot offline, and I think we've come to a place where we really believe this this is going to be a conversation, not a debate, because I think on most of the issues, we are in agreement. And he made the qualifiers when he came up, and he said, if it's safe, if it's effective. And I think those are the big ifs. That's the playground where this debate is really happening. And I think in the end, he and I would end up in the same place in that debate. I will make a minor dispute, which is the Jacobson case, which was decided in 1905, was not a case where the state was claiming the power to go into somebody's home and plunge a needle into their arm or kick down their door and take them by force. The, um, the Jacobson actually was a guy who was resisting taking a smallpox vaccine. He was from Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the penalty for not taking the vaccine was a $5 fine. So it was like a traffic ticket. He decided to take it. He had been injured in a a previous vaccine, so he didn't want to take this one. He took the case to the Supreme Court. He lost. And the remedy was he paid a $5 fine. So I think it's a big, there's a big, there's a, there's a big constitutional chasm um, between, you know, that remedy, which is paying a fine and actually going in and holding somebody down and forcibly injecting them. And I, I don't, I'm not convinced that the Supreme Court of the United States at this point would would um, would uphold that kind of law nine to zero or eight to one at all. So let me just say that. Uh, let me now go to the. The, the initial place where I think we're in agreement. I think Alan and I are both in agreement that this should be a voluntary program. That if there's mandates, they should be as an ultimate, final, dramatic, drastic remedy. And that really, and, and the question is, why can't we do a voluntary program? When Alan and I were kids, you know, people wanted to get vaccinated. There was no fear of the statement and of polio vaccines. And people had a tremendous trust in our health regulatory officials. 
And today that trust has evaporated to the extent where now 50% of the people who are polled in this country are saying they may not take the COVID vaccine and 27% are a hard no. This is even before the vaccine is developed. Why is that happening? And that's the question I think we really have to ask ourselves. Why do so many Americans no longer trust our regulatory officials and trust this process? And one of the reasons is, you know, vaccines are a very, very interesting and and very different kind of, of medical prerogative because it is a it's a remedy that is being it's a medical intervention that is being given to perfectly healthy people to prevent somebody else from getting sick. And it's the only medicine that's given to healthy people. So you would want, and particularly to children who have a whole lifetime in front of them. So you would expect that we would want that particular intervention to have particularly rigorous guarantees that it's safe. Because you're saying to somebody, we are going to make you make this sacrifice for the greater good, you have no health problems, you have zero risk of this disease, yet we are gonna force you to undergo a medical intervention. And our side of the bargain should be, oh, we want this to be completely safe. But in fact, what we know about vaccines, and this is from HHS's own studies, a, a, uh, a 2010 study by the Agency for Healthcare Research, I was commissioned to look at vaccine injury because CDC for many years had been saying vaccine injury only occurs one in a million. But what AHRQ found, which is a federal agency, they looked at one HMO, which was the Harvard Pilgrim HMO, and they did a machine cluster analysis, in other words, artificial intelligence counting, a very, very accurate counting system. And they said the actual rate of vaccine injury is 2.6%. That means one in 40 people get seriously injured by vaccines. And do we want to, and do we have a right to say we are going to impose this intervention on people where there's a one in 40 chance that you may get injured in order to, um, in order to protect hypothetical people? catching that particular disease. And for anybody, and this, I think, is something that Alan really has to, I think, Alan, that you need to come to terms with in terms of crafting your own arguments about this. It's not hypothetical that vaccines cause injury and that injuries are not rare. The vaccine courts have paid out $4 billion and the threshold for getting back into a vaccine court and getting a judgment HHS admits that fewer than 1% of people who are injured ever even get to court. The other thing is vaccines are zero liability. So this is an industry that went to Congress in 1996, and they had a deep diphtheria, pertussis vaccine at that time that was called a causing brain injury of one out of every 300 people. And they said to Congress, we cannot make this, we cannot make vaccines safely. They are unavoidably unsafe. That is the phrase in the statute, unavoidably unsafe. 
the only reason that we're going to continue to make vaccines is if you give us complete blanket immunity from liability. And Congress gave it to them. So today, you have a product that, it, that if it injures you, no matter how negligent the company was, no matter how sloppy the line protocols, no matter how toxic the ingredients they choose to use, no matter how grievous your injury, you cannot sue that company. And that company, therefore, has no incentive to make that product safe. And that should be troubling to any of us who are part of the legal system that is saying we are going to force people to take this intervention. Look, uh, I agree with much of what uh, Robert has said. First of all, I completely agree. The Supreme Court decision in the Jacobson case in 1905 is not binding on the issue of whether or not you can compel somebody to take the vaccine. The logic of the opinion, however, not the holding, the logic of the opinion and subsequent opinions, including some by Justice Olive Warner Holmes, strongly suggest that the courts today would allow some form of compulsion if the conditions that we talked about were met, safe, effective exemptions in appropriate uh, cases. Um, you talked about healthy people being compelled to take a vaccine which is not designed to help them. Of course, it's also designed to help them, but the major function is to make sure that they don't become typhoid Marys and spread the disease to other people. But when you take a vaccine, you also increase the chances that you will not get the terrible, terrible disease. I think you're gonna to have to concede, Robert, that um, the smallpox vaccine had an enormous positive impact on wiping smallpox from the face of the earth. Smallpox was a dreaded, dreaded, dreaded disease. The Black Plague back in many, many centuries ago, if there had been a vaccine back then, could have saved probably millions of lives. We don't know what COVID-19 vaccine will look like, but um, on the assumption, and here we have a real argument, on the assumption that it would be effective and would stop the pandemic, and would cause some injury to some people, then you have to ask how the courts would strike the balance. All the Wendell Holmes once made an analogy to, uh, in, an, in an unrelated case, to being drafted into the army. Um, when you're a young, 18-year-old, healthy person, and we have a draft, as we had in the Second World War, we don't have it now, but at that point in time, a young 18-year-old was told, look, Congress has given the army complete exemption. We're not liable if you're shot by the Nazis or by the, the Japanese. Um, you have to risk your life in order to protect other innocent people in the country. And it's not a perfect analogy, obviously, but it does show that the courts have given to the government the authority to sometimes make decisions that require you to sacrifice your life. I have to tell you, I don't become personal about this, but I don't think there's any family in the history of America that has ever made more sacrifices in the public interest than the Kennedy family. You know, we broke all of our hearts to see how much sacrifice the Kennedy family personally made in order to, uh, particularly Robert Kennedy, who put himself 
in harm's way so many times on behalf of the civil rights movement. People forget how much he put himself in harm's way on behalf of Israel. You know, he was a great friend of Israel, a great supporter of Israel. And the horrible man who killed him, killed him because he was a Palestinian who hated Bobby Kennedy Sr.'s views, sacrifice is part of the American uh, tradition. And the Americans owe the Kennedy family an enormous debt of gratitude for their sacrifices. Now, those were voluntary sacrifices. Um, you know, President Kennedy went to Dallas knowing there were risks. Robert Kennedy went to Los Angeles knowing there were risks. By the way, I was working on his campaign the night I was woken up in the middle of the night to learn the horrible, 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 tragic news. Um, uh, and uh, uh, those were voluntary acts. And obviously we're talking about a very different thing. We're talking about involuntary acts. But being drafted is an involuntary act. Again, uh, to mention the Kennedy family, the oldest brother of the Kennedy family volunteered to serve in the army and was killed in combat as a great hero. But there were others uh, who uh, didn't volunteer. Many of my own relatives uh, served abroad. So we demand sacrifices and we don't demand perfection. I think both Robert and I agree that we live in an age and it's a terrible time that we live in where everything has become politicized. You mentioned that when we were kids, I remember not being able to swim in the summers of 1953, four or five because of polio, my friend, uh, died after being on a, uh, a lung uh, machine. And the blessing that we all made to uh, Salk and Sabin for developing uh, the vaccine. But there were consequences. People took the vaccine and, and did suffer. In the end, no polio was, was wiped out. And, you know, we live in a very divisive age. Let me mention one other point that I think we should be discussing. Today, the New York Times has a very interesting story about who the vaccine will be offered to. The time story is not about mandatory, it's about people wanting it. And Robert and I completely agree that the program should begin by giving it only to volunteers. We should only get to this terrible, tragic choice issue. In the end, if it's absolutely essential that people who don't wanna be vaccinated have to be vaccinated to get the kind of herd immunity, we all agree with that. We live in such a divided time that everything has become politicized. On July 4th, uh, the Reverend uh, Farrakhan made a speech to almost a million people in which he urged uh, black people not to take the vaccine uh, because we know the history of how black people were experimented on during the terrible Tuskegee time. And yet black people and Latino people and people of color are the most vulnerable to the uh, illness. Uh, is that a smart thing for Farrakhan to have urged his community? Um, the, the number of, of people of color who have refused, who have indicated a refusal to take the vaccine is, I think, slightly higher, according to the report, than the number of people not of color who are refusing to take the vaccine. I understand that. I understand the suspicion that our country has generated among people. People don't trust people anymore. Uh, I wrote an article in early March, right in the beginning of this, right at the beginning of this, I wrote an article and the title was Trust Science, But Be Skeptical of Scientists. And at that point, I pointed to two things that were being argued by scientists, including the World Health Organization, which I generally support, saying don't wear masks, number one, and number two, the COVID-19 is not contagious by air. It has no aerosol contagion. 
You and wrote, wrote that article? article? You wrote that article? No, I wrote the article against it. Against I it. wrote the article saying, don't believe that. Masks work, number one. Uh, if they didn't work, why would so many doctors be using them? And why would it be so necessary for doctors to have them? And second, I don't believe that there's no aerosol transmission. The disease could not have developed so quickly around the world just by touching surfaces. So I challenged the medical establishment on that. And I turned out, of course, as we all know, to be right. We know there's aerosol transmission. We know masks have an impact, whether they help you who are wearing it or whether they only help you in transmitting it. But I, I would like to throw a question out to Robert. I think I know the answer. Robert, would you be against a, a, a law that mandated the wearing of masks in public for everybody, even by people who don't approve of the wearing of masks? You know, masks don't kill you. They're not, they're not, they don't pose the risk that vaccine do, but they do deprive you of freedom. Do you think the state, the government, has the legitimate constitutional power to mandate the wearing of masks by people who refuse to wear masks. Let me come back to that. Let me address some of the other things because I think that's actually a complex question and I think the science is very controversial on that. Let me address some of the earlier things that you said first. Um, one is, this is a rather esoteric discussion um, and, and one that, you know, I'm not going to really drag you into other than to say this. The proposition in the theology that smallpox and polio were abolished due to vaccination is controversial. That is not a proposition that is universally accepted. And um, if you notice, all the infectious diseases, whether it was scurvy or tuberculosis, for which there were no vaccines, um, along with peripheral fever and diphtheria and pertussis and measles, all disappeared at the same time without vaccination. Now, CDC actually examined that because it became such a part of the orthodoxy of, you know, of vaccines that, that um, the idea that Smallpox and polio were abolished because of vaccines and these other diseases. They did, John Hopkins and the CDC in 2000, did a comprehensive study of that proposition. The study was published in Pediatrics, which is the journal for the American Association of Pediatrics, which is kind of a, a, a readout of fortification for vaccine orthodoxy. So it was a, it's in a publication very, very friendly and supportive of vaccination. The, for people who want to look up this study, it's, um, the lead author is Geyer, G-U-I-E-R. And the conclusion of that study is that the abolishment of mortalities from infectious diseases that took place during the first half of the 20th century had virtually nothing to do with vaccines. It had everything to do with sanitation, with nutrition, with hygiene, with electric refrigerators, with reduction in population densities, and essentially engineering solution, clean water, good food. Um, and that was, uh, and, and, and actually there was a guy called Edward Cass, who was the head of Harvard Medical School at that time, who gave a very, very famous speech in which he warned that people who were promoting vaccines and other technologies would try to take credit 
with those reductions in mortalities from infectious disease. And he said, beware of them because they'll try to monitor that. They'll try to monetize them and use that to increase their power and their prestige. So it's something that you might look at again. It's called Geyer, G-U-I-E-R. Um, I agree with you. There was tremendous faith in vaccination during that period. When you grew up, I grew up, Alan, we had three vaccines and all of them were deemed as necessary. There were fear diseases. Today's kids have to take 72 vaccines, 72 doses of 16 vaccines in order to stay in school. And that explosion of new vaccination came in 1989, right after the passage of VICA Vaccine Act. The Vaccine Act gave blanket immunity from liability to vaccine companies. And so those companies all of a sudden looked around and they said, holy cow, now we've got a product where we are completely excused from the highest cost from uh, that afflicts every other medical product, which is the downstream liability for injuries. That's the biggest cost for every medicine. Not only that, vaccines have another exemption that most people don't know about. They are the only medical product that does not have to be safety tested against a placebo. And that is that exemption is an artifact of CDC's legacy as the public health service, which was a quasi-military agency, which is why people at the CDC have military ranks like Surgeon General and they wear uniforms. The vaccine program was conceived as a national security defense against biological attacks on our country. And they wanted to make sure that if the Russians attacked us with a biological agent, anthrax or something like that, that we could quickly formulate a vaccine and then deploy it to 200 million American civilians without regulatory impediments. They said, if we call it a medicine, we're going to have to test it. And that takes five years to do double-blind placebo testing. So let's call it something else. We'll call it a biologic, and we'll exempt biologics from safety testing. So not a single one of the vaccines, the 72 vaccines now administered to our children, have ever been tested against a placebo. And I, in fact, sued HHS in 2016 and said, show me any placebo studies that you have for any vaccines, and they were unable to do so. None of them have been tested. And you don't have to sue them like I did. Anybody can go on their cell phone and look up manufacturer's insert, hepatitis B vaccine, Gardasil vaccine, polio vaccine. Do you know how many days the current polio vaccine, do you know how many days it was safety tested for, Alan? 48 hours. The hepatitis B vaccine, the Glaxo version was four days. The Merck version, five days. That means that if the baby they gave that to had a seizure on day six, it never happened. If the baby died on day six, it never happened. If the baby got food allergies that were diagnosed two years later, it never happened. If the baby got autism, which is not diagnosed till four years of age, 4.2 years of age, it never happened. Autoimmune diseases, you cannot see those if you have these short-term studies and you can't see any risk if you don't test against a placebo. 
And my question is, nobody knows, because of that, nobody knows the risk profile for any vaccine that is currently on the schedule. And that means nobody can say with any scientific certainty that that vaccine is averting more injuries and deaths than it's causing. And my question is, how in the heck can we be mandating to children that they take a medical product for which we do not know the risks? And to me, that is criminal. And, you know, we talked, we started this discussion by talking about how do you avoid the whole discussion about mandating vaccines? The way that you do that is you have a transparent process and where people see that the vaccine's gonna be tested. They see that it's tested fairly against a placebo, that, um, that it is, there's long-term tests that are gonna be able to spot all of these difficulties and, and that it's transparent and open. And yet what we've seen from the current group of COVID vaccines is none of that's happening. They're skipping keys, key parts of the test. A Moderna vaccine, which is the lead candidate, skipped the animal testing altogether. When they came to human testing, they tested it on 45 people. They had a high-dose group of 15 people, a medium-dose group of 15 people, and a low-dose group of 15 people. In the low-dose group, one of the people got so sick from the vaccine, they had to be hospitalized. That's 6%. In the high-dose group, Three people got so sick they had to be hospitalized. That's 20%. Mm -hmm. They're going ahead and making 2 billion doses of that vaccine. And by the way, the people that they test them on, Alan, are not typical Americans. They use what they call exclusionary criteria. They are only giving these vaccines in these tests that they're doing the healthiest people, if you look at their exclusionary criteria, you cannot be pregnant, you cannot be overweight, you must have never smoked a cigarette, you must have never vaped, you must have no respiratory problems in your family, you can't suffer asthma, you can't have diabetes, you can't have um, rheumatoid arthritis or auto, any autoimmune disease, there has to be no history of seizure in your family. These are the people they're testing the vaccine on. But that's not who they're going to give them to. Mm -hmm. They're going to go, what happens? These people are like the Avengers. They're like Superman. You can shoot them with a bullet and they won't go down. But what happens when they give them to the typical American, you know, Sally Sixpack and Joe Bag of Donuts, who's 50 pounds overweight and has diabetes? What is, you know, what is going to happen then? You're not going to see 20%. You're going to see a lot of people dropping dead. These people lost consciousness, they had to go to a hospital, they had huge fevers, and they're the healthiest people in the world. So any other medicine, Alan, that had that kind of profile in its original phase one study would be DOA. The problem is, Anthony Fauci put $500 million of our dollars into that vaccine. He owns half the patent. He has five guys who are working for him we're entitled to collect royalties from that. So you have a corrupt system and now they've got a vaccine that is too big to fail. And instead of saying, hey, this was a terrible, terrible mistake, they're saying, 
we are going to order 2 billion doses of this. And, and you've got to understand, Alan, with these COVID vaccines, these companies are playing with house money. They're not spending anything on it and they have no liability. So if they kill 20 people or 200 people, 2,000 people in their clinical trials, big deal. They have zero liability. And guess what? They've wasted money here, their money because we're giving them the money to play with. Oh, you know, people like me and people in our community are looking at this process and we're saying, you know, whatever comes out of that process, we don't want to take it because we're seeing how the sausage gets made. And it's really sickening. No medical product in the world would be able to go forward with the profile that Moderna has. Let let me just respond because I think we're coming to some common ground here. Uh, I have no doubt that transparency and testing is essential. Uh, I don't understand why there isn't a placebo testing and other testing later uh, after the initial vaccine. So there are many phases in a vaccine. We have an emergency now, and we may have to, in fact, develop a vaccine and make it available to people without placebo testing, without diversity testing. We may have to do that, but there's no reason why over time we can't do the traditional testing, say with polio or smallpox that are now part of our history uh, and have now existed for so many years. Obviously, at this point, there's no reason not to be able to do the placebo and the other kinds of human testing. Uh, The article in the Times that I referred to made a very interesting point. It said that the people who are most vulnerable to the disease are the people who probably won't be part of the original testing. The testing is, as you said, done mostly on people who are quite healthy. Um, But isn't there a natural test that occurs? You say the pharmaceutical industry has nothing to lose, but look at what happened to the pharmaceutical companies that put forward some of the opiates. They have been driven out of business. Their names have been taken off buildings. Uh, They are regarded as pariahs in the world today. Certainly anybody who runs a pharmaceutical company cares deeply about not killing people. And even if the government doesn't mandate this kind of testing, and even if they give them exemption from financial liability, surely good people. And I think we assume that people who run companies today, I have a friend who's trying to develop one of the the vaccines and, and he's doing it without profit. He feels so strongly about the need to uh, uh, vaccinate people around the world. So I think you overstate it when you say that the people who are developing these vaccines have no concern whatsoever whether people live or die. I think they do have a concern. I I think the government has eliminated their financial liability. But uh, would you you be sad? And the other thing is you say there's no testing. I'm not the expert, I'm not the medical journal reader, but I've read enough medical journals to know that there is a lot of natural testing. You cite some of it. You cite some of the arguments that say that over years, people get autism, people get this, people get that. Those results don't come from the initial testing that allowed the product to go forward. They come from great universities, medical schools, and public health institutions that continue to test products over time and report to the public the results of those products. Uh, Robert, well, here, here's, the, here's the answer. You raised a bunch of questions. One is, 
the opiate people got busted, Alan, and, and by the way, no, they were not moral people. They knew what they were doing. They're killing uh, 56,000 American young kids a year, knowing what they were doing. Or kids every year that were killed in the 20-year Vietnam War. These are not moral companies. And they only got busted because plaintiff's attorneys could sue them. I agree. They, and they got the, the, the discovery documents and walked them down to the U.S. Attorney's Office and said, hey, there's criminal behavior here. That can never happen in the vaccine space. You can't sue them. There's no discovery. There's no depositions. There's no class action suit. There's no multi-district litigation. There's no interrogatories, nothing. They never get caught. Now, these four companies make all of our vaccines, all 72 of the vaccine shots that are now mandated for our children. Every one of them is a convicted serial felon. Axo, Sanofi, Pfizer, Merck, in the past 10 years, just in the last decade, those companies have paid $35 billion in criminal penalties, damages, fines, for lying to doctors, for defrauding science, for falsifying science, for killing hundreds of thousands of Americans knowingly and getting away with it. Vioxx, which was Merck, Merck's the biggest vaccine producer. Vioxx, which was their flagship product in 2007, was a pill that they marketed as a headache pill that caused heart attacks. They knew it caused heart attacks because they saw them in the signals in their clinical trials. They didn't tell the American public. And they killed between 120,000 and 500,000 Americans who did not need to die. And most of those Americans were people who had rheumatoid arthritis or they had headaches and migraines. They took that bill, that bill, leaving. And, and by the way, when we sued them, we got spreadsheets from their bean counters where they said, we're going to kill all these people. We're still going to make a profit. So let's go ahead. Nobody can can justify that. I agree with you completely. And they ended up, they they should have all gone to prison and said they they paid a $7 billion fine. But how can anybody, it requires a cognitive dissonance for people who understand the corporate, the criminal corporate cultures of these four companies to believe that they're doing this in every other product that they are, that they have, but they're not doing it with vaccines. They are. Look, and, and I just want to answer your other question. No, sure. placebo testing does not take place after the clinical trials. And the reason for that is that HHS has adopted a very unethical guidance that says it is unethical once a vaccine is licensed recommended it is unethical to do placebo trials or compare vaccinated versus unvaccinated people. There are scientists who do it, but they're punished for it. They're, it's very difficult for them to publish. They get their, uh, their funding cut off because nobody wants any study that is going to reveal the truth about vaccine injuries. So it just does not happen. Look, it's very important that you're making these points because we live in a democracy and nobody is going to compel a vaccine unless you get democratic approval. Legislatures are going to have to pass laws doing that. And you should testify about this. Your your voice should be heard. But in the end, 
how do you respond when the American public has listened to you, has listened to your argument, and they're very persuasive and they're very convincing and they have an impact on people like me with open minds. Uh, and yet, in the end, there's a vote by the legislature and the legislature votes to compel vaccinations in the public interest, just the way the legislature votes to draft young people to fight wars in which they will die. Um, in a democracy, don't you have to follow the will of the majority? I agree, transparency is all important. And, and, and let's shift the debate, because you said you wanted to answer the question. Let's take it out of vaccine for one second, because I think it helps analytically. I'm a law professor for 50 years, so I always do hypotheticals, hypos. So let's assume the legislature now passes a law every 50 states and the United States Congress passes a law requiring everybody to wear a mask when they're outdoors. And you say, well, I'm not so sure that masks are helpful. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Congress has hearings. Congress makes a determination that on balance, they are helpful. Wouldn't you agree that it would be constitutional? Let's start with constitutional and then desirable. Wouldn't you agree that it would be constitutional to mandate the wearing of masks, even if people have political, ideological, medical, religious objections, because A, the wearing of the mask is only an inconvenience. Maybe it'll cause a little irritation by some people that will require you know, a topical uh, pharmaceutical. Uh, and it has the potential not to save the world, but to improve the possibility of not having communicable diseases. Wouldn't you agree that mandatory mask wearing would be constitutional? Well, if I accepted all of your precedents, then perhaps I would. The thing is, I know a lot about the mask, and my organization, CHD, has not taken a position on, on them. But I have read, um, well, I've read at least three meta reviews involving hundreds of studies on masks. And the majority of the studies, in fact, there's a BMJ study from 2015 that says that the mask is actually likely to spread the disease and to make you less healthy because of the carbon dioxide that you're breathing and that the people who wear the mask are more likely to get sick. I'm not saying that that's my position. I'm just saying... Yeah. There's a lot of contrary science out there. Do you if do the, you wear a mask personally when you go science, out? If the, if the science was clear, if the science was clear, then I'd be much more sympathetic to your view. Let me ask you this. Let me just answer the other question you had. You said we have to rely on the majority. Well, I grew up in the state of Virginia, Alan. And when I grew up, it was illegal because the majority voted. And it was illegal for a black man to marry a white woman. I it, agree. Was it was illegal it was for blacks to vote. So the majority is not, no, in a democracy, you have the courts there that protect our I rights. Agree. I agree. Against I agree. Majority. Um, and unfortunately, we are in a situation today where we have tremendous corruption, not only in Congress, which is receiving which receives more money from pharmaceutical companies than any other industry. Pharmaceutical gives in lobbying twice the amount that oil and gas, which is the next big one, four times with defense and aerospace. There are more lobbyists, pharma lobbyists in Congress than there are members of Congress in the Senate. So we have lost the, um, you know, the legislative independence of that body. And 
the unfortunately, Alan, the agencies are also captured. Now, you know about agency capture. It happens everywhere. And I've sued EPA my entire life. We just um, sued the, the uh, EPA. We just sued Monsanto. We got an historic judgment, a $12 billion settlement in the Monsanto case. And I was part of that trial team. And one of the things that happened during that trial is that EPA took a position against us. They took a position that, that uh, glyphosate does not Roundup does not cause cancer. As it turns out, we got an internal memorandum that showed that the head of the pesticide division in EPA was actually working secretly for Monsanto and killing studies and twisting studies and ghostwriting studies to falsify the science. Look, you're doing we great. Were able work. To, we, we were able to show that to the jury. Now, imagine this. That's EPA, which is an independent agency. Imagine this. FDA, that's 50% of its budget from vaccine companies, from the industry, 50%. The CDC has an $11.5 billion budget and 4.9 billion of that is buying and selling and distributing vaccines. CDC is a vaccine company. It owns 57 vaccine patents. So it can make money on every sale of a vaccine. NIH owns hundreds of vaccine patents. NIH owns half the patent for the Moderna vaccine. There's five individuals at NIH, and the rules at NIH, if you're a scientist or an official who worked on a vaccine, you're allowed to collect $150,000 a year in royalties on sales that that vaccine makes. These regulatory agencies are actually vaccine companies. The, the vaccine marketing sales part of those agencies is the tail that is now wagging the regulatory dog. They are not doing their job as regulators. And in fact, the senior scientists at CDC today, the senior vaccine safety scientist, who's been, in fact, he's still in fact at CDC, he was the senior scientist there for 18 years. He is the author or co-author on all of the major studies that CDC has produced on vaccine safety, and particularly the studies that show the vaccine does not cause autism. His name is Dr. William Thompson. Three years ago, he came forward and he said, oh, we have been ordered to fake all the science of the last decade on autism. And, and, he, and he said, in fact, we were in the, the major study, which is called the Stefano 2004, it's the most cited study on this subject and he, on PubMed. And he said, in that study, we found out that black boys who get the MMR vaccine had a 363% greater risk of getting an autism diagnosis than black boys who waited after 36 months. He said he was ordered to come into a conference room with all that data, with his four other co-authors by their CDC boss, Frank DiStefano, who then ordered them to destroy that data in front of them in CDC headquarters and then published that study saying there is no effect. So you have an agency that is really just an arm of industry and the people who are in my community who are being derided and vilified, these mothers who have vaccine injured children 
are being vilified in the press who are saying, wait a minute, we have read the studies, the scientific studies. We have read about the industry corruption. We need to talk about this. They're being silenced by the press. They're not allowed to tell their stories and nobody is talking, not a single member of Anderson Cooper's staff or Sanjay Cooper has made any effort to talk to Bill Thompson and he has been begging to be subpoenaed and he's still at CDC. Mm-hmm. Look, the well, reason I to do this debate is because I think you perform an important function by bringing out some of these ties, some of these connections. You perform an important function when you bring lawsuits against corrupt pharmaceutical companies. But my question is this, knowing all that you know now, and putting aside the issue of let's assume we didn't have mandatory vaccinations. Let's assume you win that debate and it's only voluntary vaccinations now. And they come forward with a vaccine that they say will stem the tide of the pandemic. And you're allowed to go on television on Anderson Cooper. Would you urge all the American people not to take the vaccine? Would you become part of the campaign not to take the vaccine oh. if it were voluntary? Explain oh, why I, not you know, look, no, okay. no, I'm not anti-vaccine. People call me the anti-vaccine because of the way of marginalizing me and silencing me and saying, oh, That's why I'm, asking, why I'm asking you the question. I'm not anti-vaccine. You know, look, Alan, I've been trying to get mercury out of fish for 37 years. Nobody calls me any fish. I I support you on that 100%. But what would you you tell the American public if a vaccine were available and if you were invited, say, to speak to members of the black community, members (laughs) of the Latino community, members of the general uh, American community, and they said, listen, if they come out with the vaccine, yeah. it does what Bill Gates says it's going to do, which is you give one shot, you get lifetime immunity, and there are vanishingly rare serious injuries. So I don't mind, you know, jab site, redness, itching, forget about it. I don't care. I'm talking about deaths or brain damage, one in a million, that may be acceptable. In that case, and, and it works, and I'd say, I'm, I tell people, yeah, I'm going to get it. Let's go ahead and get it. What if it was but, one in a thousand, not one in a million? That's more one than a thousand. No, of course not. I'm not going to tell one in a thousand people to die so that uh, 999 people can, get, can avoid COVID, particularly since the case fatality rate for COVID. I mean, a, a healthy person has basically zero chance of dying from COVID. Oh, they, you know, you need to give it to a tremendous number of people to save one life. And and we and the problem is with this vaccine is we don't know if the vaccine is going to kill more people when you start giving it to those people with the comorbidities. Fifty-four percent of Americans now has diabetes, overweight, rheumatoid arthritis, or smoke. They have fifty-four percent of us. I'm not even talking about smokers and vapors. Fifty-four percent of us has chronic disease. They're they're testing it on one group, and they're going to give it to another. And we need to know what the risk factor is in the people that they give it to. And I, I agree with that. Let me put you in. Let me just say that the complete thought I was going to be made before. You know, I've sued the EPA for many years, and it's a captive agency. 
What would happen if EPA made half of its annual budget selling coal? Mm-hmm. That's what you got with these regulatory agencies. Well, you're They're completely corrupt. You're an important function doing this. Let me ask you another question. What if we had a system which said this? You have two choices. One, you can have the vaccine. Or two, you can refuse to take the vaccine, but if you refuse to take the vaccine, you have to remain in quarantine until such time as the pandemic is basically passed. So it's your option. The one option you don't have, you don't have the third option. That is not taking the vaccine and mingling with the public and risking other people getting COVID. Not only uh, young people, although young people do die, the Broadway actor who had his leg amputated and recently died tragically without any pre-existing conditions. What if we gave people that option? Quarantine is the option for refusing to accept the vaccine, but you don't have the third option of refusing to accept the vaccine and walking around the public without masks. The problem is, you know, that sounds like a reasonable position. The problem is, it's not the world the way the world works. And and let me explain why. Here's how the world works. And the best analogy is is the flu vaccine. So the flu vaccine is very much like the coronavirus vaccine, but we've had the flu vaccine for 90 years. So every year it's fine-tuned and we and, and perfected. And originally they told us the flu vaccine, you'll get one shot and you'll have immunity for life. And then it turned out, no, we, we need to get it every year. Because so that, there are variations of the flu. Right, and that's the same thing is highly likely to happen with coronavirus. Now, the Cochrane Collaboration, which is the ultimate arbiter for vaccine safety, it is, you know, it is the highest authority. And the British Medical Journal have done three giant meta-reviews on, on, on the flu vaccine literature. So they look at all the literature that exists, the peer-reviewed literature that is on PubMed, I think 127 studies. They did it in 2010, 2014, and 2017. Here's what they found. CDC said the flu vaccine is 35% effective. That's what they claim. Cochrane Collaboration said, no, it, you have to give 100 flu shots to prevent one case of flu, number one. Number two, there is zero evidence that the flu shot prevents any hospitalizations or any deaths. Number three, the flu shot transmits the flu. In fact, if you get a flu shot, you're six times more likely to give somebody else the flu than if you didn't get the flu shot. And this is true, Alan, for many, many other uh, shots. For example, the polio polio vaccine, which you know about, is so good at transmitting, giving polio to other people that 70% of the polio cases in the world today come from the vaccine. So let me ask you a specific question. And the chicken pox, if you go to the chicken pox, um, manufacturer's insert, it says if you get this chicken pox vaccine, you should not go near pregnant women for six weeks or anybody with, who is immunocompromised. Yeah. So same, let me, with, let me same with pertussis, you become an asymptomatic carrier. So it's a, you're not guaranteeing. And in fact, the, the, uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Oxford vaccine, which is the, the other leader, when they gave it to monkeys, 
the monkeys continue to transmit the disease. And Bill Gates and Fauci have been going on TV saying, you know, we may get a, a vaccine that protects you, but it, you may still be transmitting it. So why are you going to lock that guy up in a house look, and let I, all I, people out who, who've been, who are now asymptomatic carriers because they got Gates' vaccine? Let me agree with you, first of all. If they develop a vaccine that only prevents you from getting it, but doesn't prevent you from transmitting it, I would not be in favor of uh, compelling that vaccine. And I think the Supreme Court would not accept that as a rationale. But I want to ask you a direct question. I'm 81, I'm almost 82 years old. My doctor, who I love and admire, says to me every year, come October, you must get the flu vaccine. You must get the vaccine against pneumonia. Uh, you must get the vaccine, whatever it is, against shingles. I listen to my doctor, who I love and admire, who's been taking care of me for years. Should I instead listen to you and not take the flu vaccine? Nobody should listen to me. People need to do the science themselves. And I would say to you, no, listen to your doctor, what Reagan said about, uh, about Gorbachev, trust but verify. Do look at the vaccine inserts, Alan. Yeah. Look at some of the science. And I would say, you know, my I if, in a million years, I would not take the flu shot. And I'll tell you why, because this is what Cochrane and BMJ have found. People who take the flu shot are protected against that strain of flu. Uh, they're 4.4 times more likely to get a non-flu infection. And you might find, and a lot of people do, that they get the flu shot and then they get sick. They're usually not getting the flu. They're getting something that is indistinguishable from the flu because the flu shot gives you something called pathogenic priming. It, it, it injures your immune system so that you're more likely to get a non-flu viral upper respiratory infection. In fact, the Pentagon published a story, and you can cite this, it's by Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, in January of this year, in which they said that the flu shot not only primes you for flu, but it primes you for coronavirus. If you get, they gave flu, they had a placebo group, and they had a vaccine group because they wanted for many military readiness to see if the flu shot was prophylactic against coronavirus. What they found is actually the people who got the flu shot were 36% more likely to get coronavirus. And that's not, a, that's not a lone study. We found six other major studies that say the same thing. If you get the flu shot, you're more likely to get coronavirus. And this is so, what the science says, and you should not listen to me. Nobody no, should. I understand. You should science. So let me understand the implications of your position on the flu shot. Uh, not only uh, would you not take the flu shot and urge me to look at the science and in the end decide not to take the flu shot because it's too dangerous, but you would also, if I take the implications of your position accurately, outlaw the flu shot, make it illegal because in your view and in the view of the scientists you quote, the flu shot causes more harm than good and, and increases the chances of us all getting the coronavirus. Do I understand the implications of your view correctly? Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't take um, that sort of extreme position. What I would say is we should have vaccines, but it's, we shouldn't have one size fits all mandates. There may be some situations where even a flu shot 
would be beneficial to somebody because a flu shot is not completely ineffective. It, it does probably give you protection against that year's flu strain if they get it right. And there could be a situation where somebody's life depended on getting that flu shot, but to mandate the flu shot population-wide, I think is criminal. And I think it's, you know, where the look, all you have to do, Alan, and this is what Cochran said, is look what's happened to longevity in the elderly since we started mandating the flu shot to elderly people. Those are the people, who, their, their life expectancy has dramatically gone down as the flu shot proliferated. And if you see, you know, the people who died during the COVID vaccinate, during the COVID crisis, many, and there's no science on this, but it's observational, it tended to be people who got their flu shots, people who were in nursing home who all get flu shots, people who are first responders who get so flu shots. So with all due respect, I don't understand the implications of your position. If, if you're right, why wouldn't it follow that the flu shot should be illegal? You said it's criminal to mandate the flu shot because it kills people in my age category. So if you had to cast the deciding vote, if you had decided to run for Congress instead of doing the great work you've done over so many years, and you were the deciding vote in the United States Senate, and there was a bill to outlaw the flu shot, wouldn't why wouldn't you vote for it? If you, you know, think I'm, kind of, I'm, like, I'm, I'm kind of a free market guy, and I think, you know, what I'm against mandates. I think okay. that, you know, there may be situations where, you know, that where that product might do some good for somebody, but I don't, I just don't believe it should be mandated. I don't, you know, I wouldn't think, for example, that a, um, that uh, Viagra should be mandated to every human being on the planet, right? But there may be somebody who says, you know, I want to take that medication, let them do it. Look, I'm you not, and I are, let's you not and I are, order everybody to do it. Look, you're, we, you and I are on the same page there. I'm curious what you think of this, because I feel very strongly about this. Let's assume you have a drug, a pharmaceutical, that hasn't been tested, that is potentially dangerous, but has a 10% chance of curing pancreatic cancer in terminally ill patients. Do you agree with me and with President Trump on this issue that individuals who are dying should have the opportunity to go off label and to take dangerous drugs that probably will kill them, but increase the chances that they remain alive, that that should be a matter of individual choice? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, I have a big libertarian streak in me. I think sure. people should be left to their own choices wherever possible, unless it's going to do some harm to others. Let me address one, just one last thing that we you agree were talking with that. about. We both agree with John. Yeah, I think I, I think we agree on most stuff. The, I, you know, you said, well, if it's tested against a placebo, and this, I think, is why people like me are suspicious, are reticent. Um, the Oxford vaccine, which is, you know, was the is the other leader. Gates has a huge investment in it. Fauci is pushing it. It is the leader. AstraZeneca is now, you know, is branding it. Well, that vaccine is run by a guy called Greg Pollard, who is at Oxford, a very, very famous, powerful uh, virologist. He originally promised 
at the beginning, he said, we're going to test it against the placebo. We're going to do what's never been done in vaccinology before. We're going to actually use an inert placebo and test it. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of his phase two, he said, no, we're going to test it against the meningitis vaccine. The meningitis vaccine is a vaccine with a really high injury profile. It has a listed just on its manufacturing insert are 50 deadly serious injuries, including Kawasaki disease, um, Guillain-Barre, paralysis, seizure, heart attacks, and death, and and hepatitis, and all kinds of autoimmune disease. It's probably, it's arguably the most dangerous vaccine. So instead of giving his placebo group an inert placebo, he's giving them the most dangerous vaccine he can. Why? It's a ploy that vaccinologists use. And they give their placebo group something that's horrendously dangerous to mask injuries in the vaccine. And, you know, and so everybody on my side sees this and they say, he's not being honest. We do not know what the risk profile of that product is. We are never going to take that product because it was never tested against a placebo. Make Mm -hmm. them do the science. Don't say to, you know, get angry at people who are skeptical and say, oh, you're skeptical. We're watching the sausage get made and it's an ugly process. And by the way, he gave that vaccine to a bunch of monkeys, you know, macaques. And then, and then he exposed, he challenged the macaques by exposing them to the wild coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. And all of the macaques got sick. So the vaccine doesn't work, but because the British government put 90,000 pounds into it, he now is in order to make 2 million doses with a vaccine we know doesn't work, and they're going forward with it anyway, and he refuses to test it against the placebo. So that gives us zero faith in the whole process. So let, let me, first of all, say nobody should be angry at you. People should be praising you for bringing this to the attention of the American public. Let me just summarize, if I can, my view, and then you can get the last word. Uh, I am thrilled that we had this debate. I think the public watching the debate has learned. Uh, we've learned how much we agree about. We're both libertarians. We both agree with John Stuart Mill that the government shouldn't be compelling you to do anything just for your own good, but they can compel you to do things that prevent harm to others. Uh, we have some disagreements about uh, um, mandates. Uh, I think we both agree that any vaccine should start out by being offered voluntarily. We both agree that people should um, be offered the vaccine initially and take it on a voluntary basis. And that mandatory vaccination, which presents very daunting moral and constitutional issues, should not be required until it's proved absolutely necessary by the consensus of medical opinion. Um, I think we also agree that the First Amendment and the spirit of the First Amendment requires that this debate continue. And so I'm pleased that we had this debate. Uh, You've persuaded me about some of the medical issues. I will look further into medical issues. I don't think I've persuaded you on the constitutional issues, and I know you haven't persuaded me on the constitutional issues. I still take the position, although in a democracy, the courts do have the final word, that I do believe that if there were legislation mandating in extreme circumstances with safety and other considerations taken into account, um, mandatory vaccination, I do believe the Supreme Court would and should 
uh, uphold mandatory vaccination under those circumstances. That's the major area we disagree with. But in practical terms, I suspect we don't have a lot of disagreement that will come to fruition in the next year or so, because in the next year, the big issue will be how to get the vaccine voluntarily to as many people as possible who are willing to take it. And so thank you for putting together this debate. I think it really was informative. And thank you, Robert, for uh, accepting the uh, idea of debating on this issue. Thank you, Alan. And I, I, I want to express my gratitude to you on behalf of myself and everybody in this community. You know, people who are, who are called anti-vax, they're mainly not anti-vaccine. Almost all of them are the mothers and fathers of intellectually disabled kids who gave all the vaccines, who did what they were told, and then their child was injured, and, they, and that prompted them to go out and do the research. Those people should be allowed to speak. Those people should not be gagged. They should not be shut up. They should not be taught, considered heretics. They should be allowed to tell their story, and they should be treated with compassion and understanding and patience and an intellectual openness toward their stories. They shouldn't be vilified. They shouldn't be gaslighted. They shouldn't be ignored. And right now, particularly at a point in our history where we're talking about giving lots of people this vaccine, their stories are more important to hear than ever. I want to thank you, as for 15 years, all of us have been trying to do a debate. And we haven't been able to get Peter Hotez to do it. We haven't been able to get Paul Offit, Ian Lipkin, any of the leaders have been, have been scared to sit where you are now. And I want to thank you so much on behalf of all of us, but also our democratic traditions for coming here. Thank you, Alan. Well, thank you, Robert. Gentlemen, one thing I do want to say is I'm glad I got through my 28 questions with you guys. It was uh, very good. And uh, uh, I know one thing is uh, we have to make this disclaimer that this this uh, debate is not sponsored by Viagra, even though Robert <laughs> brought up Viagra. And I'll make sure next time we're in uh, Boston, I avoid taking you to my favorite sushi spot since you are anti-fish. I had no clue until today's debate that Robert is anti-fish. Uh, and by the way, based on how this goes, if the audience comes back, we may reach out to you for part two again. If there's other topics, we can uh, touch up. Happy that to with this. Happy Alan, to thank you so much for yeah. your time. Robert, thank you so much for your time. Take care, everybody. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much, Patrick. So can you imagine for 15 years, Robert Kennedy has been waiting for one person to want to debate the issue of vaccine. And Alan Dershowitz, the attorney, constitutional lawyer, finally said yes, and this took place. You had a chance to watch both of them go at it. I'm curious to know if either one of them changed your mind. Comment below. And on top of that, you know what I'd like to see take place is to get someone who's a doctor, any one of them, Offit, Hotez, anybody that you would like to see debate, go on Twitter and tweet them and myself saying we'd like to see you debate Robert Kennedy on Valuetainment. And outside of that, look, I got two other interviews I want you to watch. One of them is my full interview I did with Robert Kennedy, which is an even deeper interview on the topic of vaccine than this one. If you've not watched it, click over here. And the other one is a, a, a debate format that we had about a year ago where we had two folks come, somebody who was from U.S. Navy Intelligence and another person that was a director of a developmental director from Normal, and they debated marijuana. We went to cocaine, alcohol, very, very good debate live right here in my office. If you've not watched that, click over here. And if this topic of vaccine 
is important to you. You are directly or indirectly affected by this. Help share this video and the topic started out there by people talking about it. Whether you're pro or anti, share this video with others, Facebook, Twitter, text, whatever it may be, so we can get a lot of eyeballs so people start talking about this debate as we're getting closer to a possibility of a mandated vaccine for coronavirus. And if you enjoyed the video today, please click the subscribe button. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. United States. The newspapers are saying that I came here today to speak to about 5,000 Nazis. Zu Hause in den Vereinigten Staaten behaupten die Zeitungen, ich wäre hierher gekommen, um mit 5,000 Nazis zu reden. And tomorrow they're going to report that yes, I was here and I spoke to maybe three to five thousand Nazis. Und morgen werden Sie genau das berichten, dass ich zu etwa 83 bis 5000 Nazis geredet haben werde. But I look at this crowd and I see the opposite of Nazism. Und wenn ich in die Menge schaue, sehe ich das Gegenteil von Nazis. I see people who love democracy. Ich sehe Menschen, die Demokratie lieben. People who want open government. Menschen, die eine offene Regierung wollen. People who want leaders that are not going to lie to them. Menschen, die für Anführer haben wollen, von denen sie nicht belogen werden. People who are not leaders who will not make up arbitrary rules and regulations to orchestrate obedience of the population. Wir wollen keine Anführer, die wahllos irgendwelche Regelungen erlassen, um unsere Demut, um unsere Unterwürfigkeit zu erwirken. We want health officials who don't have financial entanglements with the pharmaceutical industry who are working for us and not big pharma. Wir wollen Anführer, die keine Verbindungen mit der Pharmaindustrie haben, die für uns arbeiten und nicht für die Pharmalobby. We want officials who care about our children's health and not about pharmaceutical profits or government control. Wir wollen Politiker, die sich um die Gesundheit unserer Kinder kümmern und nicht um den Profit der Pharmalobby und ihren eigenen Profit. I look at this crowd. I see all the flags of Europe. I see people of every color. I see people from every nation, every religion, all caring about human dignity, about children's health, about political freedom. This is the opposite of Nazism. Wenn ich in die Menge schaue, sehe ich Flaggen aus aller Herren Länder hier in Europa. Ich sehe Menschen aus allen Nationen, mit allen Hautfarben, von allen Religionen. Ich sehe Menschen, die sich um Menschlichkeit kümmern, die hier sind, wegen der Gesundheit ihrer Kinder und wegen Freiheit und Demokratie. Governments love pandemics. Regierungen lieben Pandemien. They love pandemics for the same reason they love war. 
Und die lieben sie aus den gleichen Gründen, wie sie den Krieg lieben. Because it gives them the ability to impose controls on the population that the population would otherwise never accept. Weil es in die Lage versetzt, Kontrollmechanismen zu installieren, die wir sonst niemals akzeptieren würden. To create institutions and mechanisms for orchestrating and imposing obedience. Das sind Institutionen und Mechanismen, die unsere Unterwürfigkeit erfordern. Now I'll tell you something. It's a mystery to me that all of these big important people like Bill Gates and Tony Fauci have been planning and thinking about this pandemic for decades. Planning it so that we would all be safe when the pandemic finally came. And yet, now that it's here, they don't seem to know what they're talking about. Und wir wissen mittlerweile, dass Leute wie Bill Gates und Anthony Fauci diese Pandemie seit Jahrzehnten geplant haben, die sie jetzt über uns gebracht haben. Und wir wissen inzwischen, dass, wir, dass sie nicht mal erklären können, was die Pandemie sein soll. They cannot give us a PCR test that actually works. They don't have, they have to change the definition of COVID on the death certificates constantly to make it look more and more dangerous. The one thing that they're good at is pumping up fear. Die denken sich alles nur aus. Sie erfinden Zahlen. Sie erfinden Zahlen zur Pandemie, damit wir in die Angst kommen. Sie erfinden diese Zahlen die wir in der Zeitung lesen, im Fernsehen sehen. Und wenn wir die Zahlen sehen, bekommen wir einfach nur in die Angst. 75 years ago, Hermann Goering testified at the Nuremberg trials. And he was asked, how did you make the German people go along with all this? And he said, it's an easy thing. It's not anything to do with Nazism. It has to do with human nature. You can do this in a Nazi regime. You can do it in a socialist regime. You can do it in a communist regime. You can do it in a monarchy and a democracy. The only thing a government needs to make people into slaves is fear. And if you can figure out something to make them scared, you can get them to do anything that you want. Hermann Göring hat zum Ende des Krieges gesagt, es hat nichts mit Nazitum zu tun, dass man die Menschen, er wurde gefragt, warum haben die Menschen das gemacht in Deutschland? Er hat gesagt, es hat mit Nazitum nichts zu tun. Das kann man im Sozialismus machen, im Kommunismus machen, in Monarchien machen, in Demokratien machen. Es ist die menschliche Natur. Wir müssen die Menschen nur in die Angst bringen und dann folgen sie uns. John Kennedy came to this city. Vor 50 Jahren kam John F. Kennedy hier nach Berlin. He came here to Berlin because Berlin was the front line against global totalitarianism. Er kam nach Berlin, denn das war die Front gegen den Totalitarismus. And today again, Berlin is the front line against global totalitarianism. Und es ist heute ganz genauso. Berlin ist die Front gegen Totalitarismus. 
My uncle came here. He proudly said to the people of Germany, "Ich bin ein Berliner." And that's And today, all of us who are here today can proudly say once again, "Ich bin ein Berliner." Und wir alle heute können stolz sagen, "Ich bin ein Berliner." Und wir sind wieder die Front gegen Totalitarismus. Ich möchte noch eine Sache sagen. Sie haben keinen guten Job gemacht, die Gesundheit des Volkes zu schützen. But they've done a very good job at using the quarantine to bring 5G into all of our communities. Aber sie haben die Quarantäne genutzt, um 5G hier in unsere Gemeinden zu bringen. And to shift us all to begin the process of shifting us all to a digital currency, which is the beginning of slavery. Und sie haben den Anfang geschaffen für eine digitale Währung und das ist der Beginn der Sklaverei. Because if they control your bank account, they control your behavior. Und das, diese Kontrolle, sie können uns nicht in unserem Verhalten beeinflussen. And we all see these advertisements on television saying 5G is coming to your community. It's going to be a great thing for all of you. It's going to change your lives. It's going to make all of your lives so much better. Und wir sehen, dass 5G überall hingebracht werden soll. Die Fernseher sind voll davon, die Anzeigen sind voll davon, die Werbung. Sie sagen uns, 5G macht unser Leben besser. And it's very convincing, I have to say. Because I look at those ads and I think that's great. I can hardly wait till it gets here. Und die wollen einfach, dass wir dieses 5G einfach akzeptieren. And then, because I'm going to be able to download a video game in six seconds, Instead of 16 seconds. Und nur weil ich ein Videospiel dann in 6 Sekunden statt in 16 Sekunden runterladen kann. And is that why they're spending five trillion dollars on 5G? Und sie geben Milliarden, Billionen von Dollars aus für 5G? No. The reason is for surveillance and data harvesting is not for you and me, it's for Bill Gates, it's for Jeffrey Zuckerberg, and it's for Bezos and all of the other billionaires. And it's nur um Überwachung und Datensammeln für Bill Gates und seine Freunde und nicht für uns. Bill Gates says that his satellite his satellite fleet will be able to look at every square inch of the planet 24 hours a day. Und mit seinen Satelliten kann, Satelliten kann Bill Gates jeden Quadratzentimeter des Globus beobachten. That's only the beginning. He also will be able to follow you on all of your smart devices through biometric facial recognition, through your GPS. You think that Alexis is working for you. She isn't working for you. She's working for Bill Gates spying on you. Und sie nutzen das, um uns auszuspionieren mit der Gesichtserkennung, die ganzen Smart-Devices. Es ist nicht für uns, es ist nur für die Überwachung und für die Datensammlung. And the, the pandemic is a crisis of convenience for the elites who are dictating these policies. Diese Pandemie kommt der Elite zu Pass, damit sie uns alles diktieren kann, was sie will. It gives them the ability 
to obliterate the middle class, to destroy the institutions of democracy, to shift all of our wealth from all of us to a handful of billionaires to make themselves rich by impoverishing the rest of us. Sie nutzen die Pandemie, um uns zu überwachen, um uns zu kontrollieren, komplett zu kontrollieren und um den gesamten Wohlstand von der Bevölkerung zu einer Handvoll weniger aus der Elite zu transferieren. And the only thing between them and our children is this crowd that has come to Berlin. Und das Einzige zwischen denen und unseren Kindern ist diese Menge hier in Berlin. Back. Thank you all very much for fighting. All right, well, there you have it, everyone. So, uh, really interesting. Um, look into that stuff. Just definitely. look into that stuff, man. And then, like, it's, and, and it gives you more ammunition. Like, as soon as somebody brings up that question to you, like, saying, like, uh, they think it's a great idea to get, uh, you know, let the government come in and plunge a needle in your arm. You know, at least you have some ammo to talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a little bit off topic, but there's something that I wanted to read, and we're going to put this in the, the show notes. But before we uh, close out, came across this article. This was shared to me uh, earlier in the week. It's the best states to live in and move to if you're contemplating a mass exodus from your state. Mm-hmm. So I want to read the opening of this, and then I want to read. Uh, All our fans in Oklahoma are like, no, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Oklahoma is looking really tempting. So let me break this down for you at the beginning. Let's face it, there's one thing that 2020 has made us reevaluate, and it's where we're living. We saw states that thought stood for freedom shut down, state governors sell out their residents and become total dictators, businesses forced to close, the muzzle replace several state flags, freedoms become restricted or altogether disappear, and legislators on a power trip use our inability to gather to their advantage, pushing through legislation that would otherwise never have passed. Add to this the riots, new normal, ridiculous changes to our educational system, cancel culture, and covert infringements upon our Second Amendment rights. And it's no wonder all of us who are woke see the COVID-19 version 2.0 coming to a fall near you and wrestling with whether we should stay and fight or to make it to better ground while we still can. So ranking states from best to worst. If you're confused about whether you should stay or leave your state, look no further than the first ever best ever list ranking states from best to worst using the criteria that are most important to parents who value their rights, freedoms, and a healthy lifestyle. These criteria include vaccine exemptions, homeschooling regulations, Second Amendment, political ideology, which will tell you a lot about how a state's run, um, the governor approval rating, COVID-19 response, personal reviews, and the cost of living. So a large group was polled um, to see how the criteria ranked in importance with uh, numbers 1 through 10, with 10 being the best, um, ascribed to the chosen criteria for each state. And then the automated spreadsheet ranks states via their raw scores and importance. So you guys can read all about that later. I'm going to skip ahead because um, if you're really wondering whether to stay or go, let us break down. The number one state, according to these criteria, is Oklahoma. This is the most desirable, and I'm going to read to you the pros. Oklahoma is tops in literally every category, and there is no other state that even remotely comes close. In Oklahoma, you have religious, philosophical, and medical vaccine exemptions, great homeschooling and medical freedoms, the ability to grow your own food, an excellent governor, amazing Second Amendment protections, the lowest cost of living, access to co-ops, crop shares and health food stores, an excellent state government, and personal reviews of people living in the state who were polled gave it a quote 10 out of 10. 
So cons, Oklahoma City has a mask mandate put into place by their city council, who clearly have not read legitimate research regarding masks. However, even though the governor has faced an immense amount of pressure to socially distance and mandate masks, he has stood firm thus far in resisting these mandates. Oh, and there's tornadoes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, <laughs> just speaking a, of, just, yeah, oh, and there's tornadoes. Just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No. Well, I was going to say, like, Oklahoma City, you know, they're, I don't know, they've got some deep state affiliations, man. If you look back, like, we're, I want to do a whole episode on this, you know, when maybe when things calm down, because mm-hmm. we're trying to stay relevant right now, but I would love to do an episode on the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done some deep research into that, and just, if you guys want to uh, go down a rabbit hole, check out the Eglin Blast Effect study. Yeah. Some good stuff. Interesting. So, anyway, we'll have more on that. All right, so uh, just finishing up with uh, Oklahoma, the raw score. So vaccine exemptions got a 10, homeschooling regulations got a 10, the Second Amendment protections got a 9, political ideology was a 10, their governor got a 10, COVID-19 response is a 9, personal reviews is a 10, and the cost of living is a 10. So Oklahoma is sounding pretty good. So I want to read to you guys uh, about Oregon. This is our state. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to read to you uh, California. I want to read to you New York because this is (laughs) kind of fun. So Oklahoma's number one. I know already because I've read this a couple times this week that Oregon is number 40 out of 50 states. It is 47. So 48 is Washington. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Right. Okay. So here we go. Oregon. Shout out to Ricky, number 39. Yes. Hey, Ricky. All right. So pros, Oregon has medical and non-medical vaccine exemptions, kind of. They're, they're working on yeah, getting that, yeah, yeah, they're eking that away, but yeah. quick. Um, allows homeschooling, though it has moderate regulations, I can attest to that. Has beautiful landscaping, wide open spaces, and opportunities for outdoor recreation. Cons, vaccine exemptions are always under attack, true, and there are barriers to obtaining non-medical exemptions, also very true. Their quote, the governor is awful. <laughs> <laughs> and she is. The COVID-19 response is very restrictive. There are riots in big cities, and Oregon tends to follow California's lead. This state also has weapon has a weaponized and corrupt CPS, I've been saying that for years, known for medical kidnapping. If your child isn't fully vaccinated and you have to go to the emergency room, it's not a bad idea to have a lawyer you can call and a family practice physician you're established with. Raw score, vaccine exemptions got a seven, homeschooling regulation got a seven, the second amendment got a four, Political ideology got a one. Our governor got a one. That was pretty high for her. Mm-hmm. I, I was literally expecting to see negative numbers here, but yeah, that, totally. wasn't, that wasn't uh, part of the graph. COVID-19 uh, response was a one. Personal mm-hmm. reviews is a three, and the cost of living here is a one. And that's hilarious, too, because out of their scale, the only thing that's holding uh, Oregon up as high as it is and preventing it from being, like, number 39, or, excuse me, being, like, number 49 or whatever, 50, is the vaccines it rated the highest in vaccine and homeschooling regulations so yeah. that's surprising yeah. and then they're seven that out of ten. so yeah. it'll be number 50 here but that's under shortly. attack it is yeah illinois so, ew, ew. i know it's awful yeah, so it's 41 interesting yep so um then i want to skip to number 49 uh, brothers and sisters in california <laughs> california man, pros it's a good thing California has decentish, decentish homeschool laws because you'll need to homeschool if you're going to live in this state. It's also a plus that natural health practitioners aren't hard to find because you'll need one if you're forced to vaccinate. Cons, Land of Pan, Nancy Pelosi, and Adam Schiff. No religious and philosophical exemptions for vaccines. Medical exemptions are very hard to get. Poorly managed government, power outages, high taxes, Hollywood elites, homelessness, drugs, crazy CPS, criminals released on the streets, high cost of living, extremely liberal with a horrible COVID-19 response. If you move here, you'll live in a free country, but not a free state. 
Raw score, vaccine ones. exemptions got a one, homeschooling regulation a seven, second amendment one, political ideology one, the governor is a one, COVID-19 one, personal reviews one, and a cost of living is a one. And the rock bottom loser. Oh, shout out to our friend Billy, dude. I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, Billy. Billy. I'm sorry, Billy. Our hearts are with you. Billy Ray Valentine. All right, pros. And this is their quote, insert crickets chirping here. Cons. No religious or philosophical vaccine exemptions. Flu shot and HPV vaccines for everyone. The Second Amendment is a joke. Poorly managed government. Awful governor with a COVID-19 response that should scare anyone over the age of 65. Mm. No medical freedoms. Corrupt child welfare agencies. Awful public school system. Highest cost of living and heavily regulated homeschooling. New York is a testing ground for the most liberal agendas and the state owns your children. Mm -hmm. There you have it. So uh, we were going to put a link to this uh, in the show notes. Look into it. Uh, I am definitely wanting to move to Oklahoma right now. Anyways, perfect. There's that. All right. Well, everyone, uh, we thank you all for sitting in with us again. uh, We miss you, Ed. We will see you uh, this next week. And to all of you, we wish you intellectual prosperity. Good night. Bam, 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 bam.